you know, I still struggle with insecurities to this day. And a lot of times it can really get in the way of my work and it can really impact me. I want someone to be able to see a video of mine and get some form of utility out of it. How does one go about building a personal brand? You know, I just started making TikTok videos because like I wanted a place to post outfits and I was too shy to do it on Instagram. I wanted to help people. At the end of the day, like I started this because I wanted to see this content and I wasn't seeing it. If you don't focus on yourself and healing yourself and, and what is at the root of that, you're just going to keep on that endless pursuit. Like we're seeing more and more creators use this not only as, as a career in and of itself, but as a point of entry and letting their online presence and their personal brand be their resume. Hello and welcome back, you beautiful people. I hope you're having, about to, or have had a beautiful day today. If you're new here, my name is Syme. Syme like time. Welcome to a place where we hang out and start conversations with creatives. This week, I had a chance to have a heartwarming conversation with everyone's favorite content creator, Nolan Daniel White. Nolan is a creative from a very young age. Today, he's a content creator with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. He's also a writer and a creative consultant. He has built a family-like community around his love for fashion, watches, and interior design. Our conversation led to topics like how to build a personal brand, community, transparency as a content creator, insecurities, and much more. This conversation is also out on YouTube. It does have some visuals to go along with it. If you found value from this conversation, let me and Nolan know. Once again, super grateful that you're here. And without further ado, let's get into this beautiful conversation with Nolan. Would you say you were born with just a good taste? <laughs> Do you know you have a good taste? Can we at least come to that conclusion? Yeah, I, I, I hate okay. tooting my own horn, but like, I, I yeah, I, you have I, a good taste. I take pride in, in that, yeah. I guess. You should. Most definitely you should. Thank you. How does one develop a good taste? Oh, you got to fuck up. I mean, like, yeah, well, like, was I born with good taste? No. Is all taste relative? Yes. So, I mean, like, you can, you can, I don't know, it's, you, you could say that. I don't think anybody's born with it, though. Like, and, and I don't even really think there's as much of a natural aptitude towards it as there is other things like, you know, ability to do math or, or mm -hmm. you know, how high you can jump. Like, I do really think it is a like 95% experiential experiment, you know? And I think it's just about really having the right mindset and seeing it as like an iterative process. I think most people, particularly men, see taste as a box to be checked. It's a task not a practice. Whereas exactly. like, you know, similar to working out, you know, a lot of people will approach, you know, getting into shape as like something to do. I want to lose 50 pounds. And then what, you know, do you, and, and like, you know, same thing with taste. It's like, okay, I want to redo my wardrobe. I want, I want to get better taste and then be done, you know, where it's like that changes. That's always going to change. There'll be things that'll be consistent throughout that, like me and my amazing Marcellos. Yeah, a lot of people have the wrong mindset about it. Okay. And that leads to people getting frustrated and giving up, you know, because if they if they feel like they're constantly missing something and they're not able to check that box, then it's just gonna seem like an like an insurmountable task, which in a way it is because it's not a task. It's something that you have to constantly go after. And am I gonna look at look back at maybe even what I'm wearing on this podcast and go like, Ugh. you know, then I, I might, you know, and then I may in 20 years from now, look back on this and go like, actually, you know what, that wasn't, that was okay. You know, like it's going to change with you as a person. And it's, it's more just about like who you are today, not about like, oh, I'm going to look back on this in five years and cringe. Probably, you probably will. But like, 
everybody does. So right. disregard that. There was a point you were wearing Givenchy and oh yeah, no, it was awful. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't say it was awful, but yeah, I would have never. There's thought. some bad fits. Like, there's some bad fits. Like the archived. I might. I'll lend you a couple. Like <laughs> for to, to throw up here or something. But like, All right, gotcha. There, yeah, like the archived Instagram is bad, man. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I found some stuff on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's cool. Yeah. So to sum up, you'd say you just need to experiment. What yeah. if people would hear that and be like, oh, like you got money so you can experiment. But that's not really because we kind of spoke about it. You need to be passionate. Mm -hmm. and you don't really need money because when you were a young kid, you didn't have money. No. And I mean, like there's an important asterisk there. You know, like I think even though like, yes, I didn't have money. You know, like I have friends who were growing up and working to help chip in for bills, you know, and mm -hmm. I didn't have to do that. I was very grateful to not have to do that. You know, like same thing with sports. Like I have friends who like had to pay, you know, part of their hockey gear equipment and play hockey, but stuff like that. You know, I got to go to camp, you know, I was fortunate enough to go to camp each July when I was growing up. That was something my parents paid for where there, there were kids there that would have had to chip in for that. So like I did have lots of support from my parents. I knew that they were going to provide for my education, that they were going to pay for my post-secondary. So I knew I didn't really have to save up as much. So like that's an important asterisk. I think when I'm talking about, you know, I, I was privileged enough to develop taste at the age that I was at. I do also know people who did that while also being in a less privileged situation. But back to your original point of like, yeah, how how can you kind of develop taste without you know, like constantly having a budget to spend. And I honestly do think, yeah, the answer is, and, and I discovered this when I was very young and it enabled me to, to can you continue exploring this was, uh, was secondhand fashion, you know, like whether you're, you know, on Depop or thrifting, you're still buying something for around what you can sell it for. And that allows you to, to experiment, you know, because if you know that you can buy something and, you know, you're roughly going to be able to get what you paid for it back out of it, then you can take more risks there. Whereas if you're going to Zara or H&M and you're blowing a bag there because you see this as a one-stop shop where you can go and get good taste and be well-dressed and then it's going to be that box checked, you know, then you're spending all that money and then half the stuff doesn't fit after you wash it a couple times or you're not happy with it in six months because you've developed, you know, discovered a new thing, you know, and then there's that, again, that frustration of feeling like there's this insurmountable hill to climb. Whereas if you approach it, you know, and, and again, I, I'm a huge supporter of secondhand clothes. Like a lot of what I wear is secondhand. Even when I buy, like I cannot justify going in and buying designer stuff at retail because like I know I can get this for 75% off secondhand. So, you know, like, that's what I would say is just like, if you apply that, um, it, it, you know, gives you so much freedom. What I feel like is it's a lot easier to just go to Zara mm -hmm. or H&M and just buy something because you have that box ticked mm -hmm. and it's a lot harder to actually go to Renaissance Value Village and actually look for stuff or even just on Depop. Mm -hmm. That's why people choose. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's something where like, I think it's, it's important in the fashion community that we you know, as, you know, as creators that we, you know, there are a lot of people that don't even know that, that that option is available to them and that like it, how, how good it is for, for your bank account and for the environment, you know, to shop secondhand and, and to practice, you know, like kind of a, an iterative recyclable wardrobe, mm -hmm. uh, where you're, you're not just accumulating. Um, so it's important to keep educating, but I think it is also important to have the nuance that like, not everybody, not everybody has the time. Not everybody, you know, like if you're working three jobs, it's like, yeah, you're probably going to go 
you know, Walmart. Unfortunately, right. though, there are so many creators that are doing Shein hauls and that are, you know, taking money from Zara to, to promote this stuff. And there are happy mediums with some stuff, you know, like, you know, for example, like I've worked with Uniqlo, you know, like I'm not ignorant to the fact that there are some some issues with Uniqlo. And that's something I've discussed. But like, at the end of the day, if someone, you know, like you said, just, you know, is not willing to do that, is not willing to go out to Value Village and hunt mm -hmm. for stuff or is not willing to go on Depop and, and search through a bunch of individual unique items, then I see that as like the lesser of many evils. And it's important that like we provide that option because if we just yell at people, oh, you're a bad person unless you shop secondhand or unless you buy from this really expensive, really sustainable brand, then people are just going to turn away and say like, okay, screw this guy. I'm not going to listen to him because he makes me feel bad. And to be honest, like they're right, you know, like that they're in that position. I'm not perfect. Like I eat meat that is worse for the environment, you know, but like I, I can't do everything in every facet of my mm -hmm. life. So it's about like reducing impact, you know, and that's an important nuance that I think a lot of people miss. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah, again, it's very easy to be like, you know what, I'm not going to eat meat. Mm -hmm. And then because it's a hard thing, people end up not doing that for a long period of time. So it just reduce and that process can get applied to different things. Totally. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I, I remember I, I did a video like a year and a half ago, like just like ripping into Sheen. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of the like, oh, but iPhone, you know, you film this on an iPhone, so you can't say anything like those types of comments. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you're right. You know, like, yeah, that is. But it's like within that you can practice, you know, harm reduction within that. So it's like, OK, don't get a new iPhone every time some, you know, one comes out. Mm -hmm. Or if you're going to get a new iPhone, like get a refurbished one that's a year old. Like there are things you can do, you know, if your battery is low, get the battery replaced by Apple. We'll do that. You know, like things like that, where it's like, you can, nobody's going to be perfect. And like, right. it's very important to remember that like a lot of these issues are, are systemic and industry level and not individual. And that like, we can do what we can, but at the end of the day, like it's not up to most of us. Um, but I think it's important to, to care, you know, and do what you can. Yeah. And that's going to be different for different people. Exactly. Exactly. So your taste let you to build this personal brand would you say that yeah yeah that you have yeah how does one go about building a personal brand again there's no blueprint you mm. can give yeah i mean like you know it's still something i'm figuring out i think you know like i never set out to do that i kind of fell into it you know i just started making tiktok videos because like i wanted a place to post outfits and i was too shy to do it on instagram so i'm like nobody will find me on tiktok ironic and uh, and then they started to do well. And then people were asking me, you know, like, hey, what, what store should I go to in Toronto? You know, what you know, what brand are those pants? You know, can you talk about this? Can you talk about that? And then it went from there. And then like, you know, someone would notice my watch and be like, hey, what watch is that? You know, and then I'm like, OK, like maybe I'll start getting into watches or, you know, hey, can we have a room tour? And then I start kind of going in, into interior design. So like, honestly, like my building my personal brand was essentially just finding ways to communicate my taste to people. And to to share my experience as someone that that really enjoys partaking in those, you know, passions. And that's what it was all kind of built off of, I'd say. You know, when I started, you know, making videos that were more than just outfit videos, I set out, you know, because I I wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, like I want someone to be able to see a video of mine and get some form of utility out of it. Obviously not everything, like, you know, there there's gonna be stupid stuff I post, but like I wanted, you know, to, I wanted the videos that I'd wanted to see 
two years earlier, three years earlier, you know, when I was really trying to figure out my style and coming away from all that like heavily branded stuff and like kind of, you know, in a bit of a, uh, you know, gray zone, not really knowing where to look like I wanted to make videos for that Nolan two or three years ago. And that's what I always set out to do. You know, what was that Nolan looking for? Just, you know, like, like style that was true to me. You know, I, I reflecting on it now, I realize like I dress the, the way I dress in the second half of high school, you know, or just like high school in general, largely because, you know, I was, I was a pretty insecure kid. You know, I had really bad body image issues and it was to me a way to distract from those insecurities. You know, it was a way to get validation from my peers you know, you know, a lot of other kids, it was, yeah, they were, they were tall or they were really good at sports. And for me, it was like, oh yeah, like, you know, he's the guy with the expensive clothes. And I liked that. I liked being that guy. I got validation from that. It made me feel, you know, like I had something. And then, you know, I, I quickly realized that that external validation wasn't going to do me any good, but that I still did have an interest in fashion, you know, that, 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 that didn't just come from nothing, but it, it had kind of morphed in, in a, you know, negative direction because of my insecurities. So yeah, I, at that point was like, okay, I know what I don't want. What do I want now? You know, and I started, you know, going out and trying to find it. And that was very much just like shooting into the dark, you know, and just like seeing what sticks. And it took a while and there was like, you know, a lot of bad purchases I made because of that because I just didn't know any better. And, you know, same thing in watches, same thing in interior design. And it's like, I just want to be able to share my experience with that. So like people, you know, either don't have to make the mis same mistakes as me or if they have like how they can maybe interpret them to, you know, be seen as not mistakes, but just like learning opportunities. I really appreciate you telling people about insecurity. I, I mean, I worry about that, right? Like I, I know... I know how it can come off as, you know, a content creator when like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate. And again, you know, like I, I don't want anyone to ever think that, you know, this all came from just hard work and dedication. There, that was a big piece of it, but like a lot of it was luck. A lot of it was just like privilege from birth. And even with all that, you know, like grass is always greener, even with all that, I'm, you know, I still struggle with insecurities to this day, you know, and, and a lot of times like it can really get in the way of my work and it can really impact me. And, and it's something that I've now realized will, will never go away with, with external validation. You know, it's like, it's like, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to put a roof over my house, food in my stomach, you know, get healthcare, yada, yada, like everything I need, you know, and, but, and, and, you know, be able to see friends, but everything beyond that. You know, I've now realized it's like all that stuff is nice, but nothing will ever, you know, patch those insecurities. And I thought that way for a long time. I thought that like, yeah, once I, once I get this apartment, then I'll be happy. Once I, you know, get this watch, once I, whatever, you know, and again, those things are nice, but like, if you, if you, if you don't focus on yourself and healing yourself and, and what is at the root of that you're just going to keep on that endless pursuit. You know, like I always ask myself when I look at people like, like Jeff Bezos, it's like, why didn't he stop at $50 million? Yeah. $50 million is, is infinite amounts of money, more than you could ever want or need, you know, and, and you would have to try to spend in a lifetime, you know, unless you were really stupid with it. But like, why did he keep going, you know? And like, would I want to keep going? No, like there would be, there would have to, there, there's something 
wrong there, in my opinion. You know, if you if you can't recognize that it's like time to stop, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's something I was like, I saw myself and I saw myself burning myself out with with work and putting so much pressure on myself and never letting myself enjoy my achievements. Um, you know, other than with with materialistic celebrations, but never really giving myself the credit that I realized like, okay, I need to, I need to take a step back and I need to work on this because if I don't, I'm just going to constantly chase the next biggest thing until the next biggest thing is, is something that's, you know, affecting me and, and the people around me. Do you worry when you talk about your insecurities or mental health, people will not accept that or they will not even understand? I mean, that's, that's the way people are. I, I don't worry about it too much because, you know, I see it, I see it as a them problem. And, and if there are people that, you know, don't want me to talk about that stuff, then I think that says more about them than it does about me. And I, and I hope that they are able to come to, you know, a place where they can confront that because it's, it's probably a form of projection. I don't know, you know, but like, I'm not worried about that because the way I see it is like, there's maybe someone that needs to hear that I from me yeah. that like, it's not, it's, it's not perfect. Once you get, you know, like, like the apartment that you want, like it's, you ride a high for a couple of days and it's a very nice environment to live in. And it definitely helps me, you know, do my work, being able to have, have that environment to create content is great, but like that doesn't solve the root issues or a, a Rolex doesn't solve those root issues. And separating that is, is really important to, I think, you know, enjoying your achievements and really being able to ask yourself what you want. Cause you know, like if you do just chase the money, I think you'll end up in a bad spot. You know, you do say that I came from a privileged background mm -hmm. and I had my necessities covered. Therefore, I was able to spend money on my interests. Do you feel like that you have to prove something to people? In, in what respect? In just like how you work, for example, or what you're putting out or who you are as a person. For example, you know, you have a video idea. Mm. You don't want to work on it. You don't feel like working on it. But in the back of your head, you're like, you know what? I need to prove some people that I deserve to be here despite if I'm privileged. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and that is something that like, I'll be honest, I am insecure about. And like, there are comments like that that have gotten to me where it's like, where, you know, it feels like people are are reducing my achievements down to just mm -hmm. privilege and, and ignoring the hard work that I've done. And, you know, that's something where at the end of the day, it's like, I've also come to the the conclusion now that it's like, that's the tax you pay for having for having luck and, and privilege, you know, it's like, and, and you can only do what you can do to understand that, but there will be people at the end of the day who do, who don't see your achievements as, as worthy or valuable because of your situation. And, you know, I, I can simp or, uh, yeah, I, I, I can, you know, be empathetic to that okay. perspective. Um, and yeah, is, is it part of my work ethic that I do feel like I have to prove people wrong. I think a bit. It's not something I'm necessarily proud of, but I, you know, I think I'd be lying to myself if I said that there wasn't a part of me that does want to to prove to people that like, yeah, it's more than just that. You know, and and that's just me being honest. And but yeah, I mean I mean at the end of the day, you know, like I can say that like I I didn't really, you know, I I was I was given, you know, a lot of 
advantage when it came to my situation. Like I said, you know, I, I graduated school debt free. You know, my parents helped me with my rent while I was in school. You know, the way they saw it was like school is your job. We don't want you to have to get a second job um, or, or to get a job to to fund school. We want you to focus on your academic pursuits. And but, you know, it, I, I didn't have any entry into the industry. I made that myself. I made all the connections I made by myself. And even by saying that, I think I'm playing into this trope of individualism, which I don't love. You know, I, I don't love the idea of of virtue from doing everything on your own. I think it's okay to rely on people. It's okay to have help. And and that's what it, it it's a community after all, you know? Right. And it's important to be able to rely on people because if you I think if you build your life on this assumption that you have to do everything yourself then things will get really lonely, you know, mm -hmm. and if, and, and the scariest thing of that is if you do, then who are you left with? Yeah. You know, it's like the whole, like people will say it's lonely at the top with their chest out. Like that's something they want. Like it's virtuous, you know, but that's, that's sad. You know, I wouldn't want that. Yeah. I mean, what's the point of you being at the top when the people that you love are not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or they've all, or you've pushed them all away to get there. You've stepped on them to get there. It's like that. No, you know, like that. What's the point at that point? You know, I think relationships are single-handedly the most important thing in life. Yeah. You, absolutely. You think that too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a really social person and I would have no point to live if I didn't have them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, I wanted to start a podcast again, just so I can build more relationships mm -hmm. with people. And that's literally it. Yeah. And the amount of peace that has given me and the amount of learning I've been able to do, like, man, couldn't ask for more. Yeah. And, and I, I also, I like how you say relationships, especially in the context of podcasting, because I think, and again, this kind of goes back to like the, the hustle culture grind set, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, like I have issues with the, the just like a lot of the language in that, you know, kind of like school of thought but you say relationships and i like that a lot of people would say connections and there's there's a an you know an, an implication within that that there is uh, that it's transactional a connection is something that i'm going to get something out of and that i can maybe give something but i'm going to get something out of it a relationship isn't that to me you know it, it's there there is obviously still give and take in relationship but it's yeah. on a more personal level so i just i noticed that and i i thought i'd point that out i love it I appreciate it, man. You know, there's something I can relate to you. You said that there was not a single person you knew when you moved to Montreal. Mm -hmm. I only knew my friend. So, I mean, that gives me a whole lot of, I guess, advantage. But you didn't know a single person when you moved to Montreal. I mean, there, you know, I had, I had like internet friends. But like, yeah, yeah I mean, I hadn't been to the city since I was, I, I think, eight or something. Like, eight I, or I nine, don't remember podcast, the city. Yeah. yeah. Or I, I don't remember anything about the city. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I had a friend who was also moving up with me at the same time, mm -hmm. um, who was, who I went to school with and, but like different parts of the city and like, you know, I don't, I don't think she knew anybody either. And then I had, you know, some internet friends and, yeah. and that's kind of where I started. I'm like, okay, well, you know, like we've talked online, you know, let's hang out because yeah. I've got nobody else to hang out with. Yeah, no, I um, get that. And it's led to some really great friendships. You know, that's, that's how I met Max was through Chiron, you know. I see. I, see. Yeah. I have found Montreal to be a very welcoming city. Absolutely. You know, two things. One, I think the general culture and like work-life balance, especially mm -hmm. compared to Toronto, is much more 
balanced. I'm so um, glad you pointed that out. You yeah. know, like like people are like much more willing. Like, hey, it's you know four o'clock. I got off work early on Thursday. Like, let's do something. Let's go to a park. You know, yeah. like let's have a picnic or something. Toronto is very like. Oh yeah, no, like I'm going to work overtime and then, you know, like, and thankfully, I mean, Montreal is, you know, affordable enough that, that you can kind of sustain that type of lifestyle a bit more. Exactly. How did you go about exploring the creative scene in Montreal and building relationships like Max? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was just kind of like, you know, taking every opportunity that I could and yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it was helpful because by the time I got here, like there were some people that that knew me, you know, mm -hmm. so it was it was nice to go to an event. And, you know, if there were 200 people there, there might be one or two people that would come up and and say, you know, hey, you know, you're, you're Nolan, I think I've seen your videos. So that's like, an you know, like they're starting the conversation. So that was nice. OK, but it was honestly like, yeah, just like hitting up, you know, I would hit up Kyron or Max and be like, hey, what's going on? Or my, you know, my friend Adam. Garcia and be like, you know, hey, what's going on? Like, right. you know, let's go do something. And then, you know, they were like, they would hit me up and say like, hey, there's this event tonight. And yeah, it's just kind of like, like taking every opportunity you could and, and especially doing it in the summer. I moved here in July and really only caught on to that towards the end. And then in the winter, you know, it's like a lot of people kind of hibernate. There's still stuff going on, but you know, it's a bit harder to get out. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to the fashion fits. You said that at one point you were insecure. Mm. So you were showing or you were wearing clothes so you could have something that people can kind of talk mm -hmm. about and you can kind of be in that group and whatnot yeah where did you get that confidence first to put fashion fits on instagram or it was just something subconscious that you just did and it was like oh cool i i honestly just i had a bit of an attitude when i was starting it of just like Eh, like 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 just who cares you know and like mm -hmm. okay like, they don't know it's good you know like, yeah, like i was yeah, honestly okay. like I, I was a bit cocky at times okay not in a, like an outward way but just like as a way to i think like cope with it in my own head okay it was like you know i'm just like like yeah like i'm, I'm putting that shit on you know and like and like i look back it's like i wasn't but like but but again that's part of it that's part of it and yeah i it was like there was a little strategic element of it where when I started posting them on TikTok, I was just kind of thinking like, man, yeah, like if if you were on YouTube in 2005, 2006, 2008, and you kept with it, you stuck with it, and you kept like trying to improve your content, like you're pretty successful. Like a lot of those people are pretty successful who, who really put like had a, a thoughtful approach and didn't just make the same video for 10 years because they're obviously people who did that. But like for a lot of people. Not everybody, obviously, but like uh -huh. there were a lot of people that like built their career off that. Same thing with Instagram. Like there were a lot of people where it's like if you were on the boat early, it was much easier to yeah. to get on that. So with TikTok, it was like a lot of it was like, okay, I just want to push myself to put a new outfit on every day to hold myself accountable. But also, yeah, like there was a piece of it where I was kind of thinking like, okay, like if this if this does catch, you know, some attention, you know, like if there's some traction here, then like maybe this is like, you know hopping on the train as it's leaving the station you know you could have started a youtube channel back then and maybe your life could have been a little more different mm. do you regret that or do you think about things not, such as that not really because i think when i started on you know like on social media the way that i am now i think that was the first time i was really ready for it okay i think anything before that i would i wouldn't be proud of now where like even when i look back on my content now it was clearly in its infancy. I didn't know how to talk in front of a camera. I didn't know how to edit any of that stuff. I still like respect where I, I was at and, and relate to that person. Whereas before, like, I don't know if I would still like that content. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't mind it. 
Yeah, I feel like like I have no idea how to honestly talk to people, but for me, it's just like you gotta keep doing it. Yes, yeah, totally. Eventually, you'll get better. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I did. And I go back, like you know, for anybody watching, like go scroll back on my old videos. Like I talked like a robot, like dead, like so much like dead noise. Like yeah, you'll I mean you'll see it and like, but that's part of it. You know, like yeah, it, no. it's just consistency. Like that that is what I attribute you know the success I've had so far to is like you know, doing it when I didn't want to do it, you know, and, and recognizing the difference of like when I didn't want to do it because I was just like being lazier, I felt insecure and making sure that I still actually wanted to do it and still liked it, but just right. wasn't in the mood for it. And sometimes when I like force myself to get up and make a video, I would get into the groove of things, you know, and, and start to enjoy it, you know, just like after I got the first one done and I just needed to do that, you know. And then other times I wouldn't. And then I'd be like, okay, well, at least I tried, you know, let's try again tomorrow. This is something I want to talk about because you did say often where you don't want to film the video or you don't want to edit. Why do you force, how do you force yourself? I mean, it's nice. Like, like what I kind of do now, cause you know, like I think it's, it's important not to be rigid. It's the same like philosophy I apply to working out. A lot of it is just learning how to really listen to yourself and how to tell the difference between when you're doing something because you really don't feel like it and you really don't have it in you. And those are the times when you need to rest. And there have been many times where I've taken a week or two weeks off from making content. It really helps what I've started, you know, doing for probably the past year is like, I'll build up a bit of a bank of content. Yeah. So like I can rely on that and not really feel bad about, you know, not filming something for a week or two weeks. But then there are other times where like, I've not filmed something for a week or two weeks because I'm like, I'm just, I get so caught up in the anxiety of like, putting work into something, posting it, and it flops and doing that for three days in a row. And I've had months in a row where that's happened. Like there have been times where like it was like really desolate. Like I like videos just would not perform for months on end, but I kept at it because I knew it was going to stop and it always stopped eventually. But in those times where I was seeing like where, where I would check in with myself and just realize like, yeah, you're not filming that video because you're just worried about it not going. But if you don't put it out, then it's definitely not going to get any views. So put out the damn video, you know, and checking with myself and doing that, you know, that that's, I think, really the important part. How did you build a community and how can someone else build a community? Honestly, it's something that like I, I think I could be doing a little better. Like there are things like, you know, like Discord, which I haven't really like gone into, which like, honestly, I probably should. And, you know, it's so, like I think I could I could do better at it, but. It's not something I've really focused on too actively. I think it's been a more passive thing that's just kind of like come from the way that I, I do my videos in the, the audience which I reach, okay. which is people with, with similar interests or, or, you know, overlapping interests, I think, which is something that like I've really focused on is like, you know, I want, I want to be the gateway for the fashion guy who's kind of interested in watches or the watch guy who's a little interested in fashion or the interior design person who's a little interested in watches. So I think that like cross-sectionality, I, th I think the community has kind of been built in the the commonalities between those, you know, points of interest. And I honestly think just like being, you know, engaging with people, like that's something that I've always wanted to do. Obviously, I can't do it on the same, you know, to the same degree that I did, you know, when I when I had less of a following. But like, I still do my best to get to like every DM that I can. You know, there are some which like I won't really respond to anymore just because like, unfortunately, I don't have the capacity to like, you know, if, if someone 
some like people used to hit me up for like recommendations and I would just like send them a link of what, I, you know, and like, yeah. you know, spend 15, 20 minutes sometimes like finding something for them. Now it's just the kind of thing where it's like, ah, shit, like, okay, I don't have the time to do that. And if I can't do it for everybody, then I don't want to like be selective or whatever. Yeah. So like, unfortunately, I can't really support that anymore. Like, you know, I, I just can't keep up with that anymore. But like anything else, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I think it's just about like realizing that it's like the people in your community very easily could have done what I did or may actually be doing it. But it's like most of the people in my community, I think, like could have built the platform I built, you know. I consider you one of the most transparent content creators out there. Thank you. I feel like people that watch you now, they know where you came from what you've been able to do and they respect that you're transparent with them tell me why creators should be transparent yeah no that's i i that's a great question it's something like i i really do want there to be more of a, a broader conversation but like just in the community like i yeah. wish people talked about it more and like removing the shame from it you know it's like it's like it's okay to talk about where you came from obviously there's always going to be people that react negatively you know like right. if you did happen to come from a privileged background but there are a lot of people who actively hide it or minimize it yeah and you know what i think one of the most important things is like people look at creators Cre creators are the closest that people have ever been to their source of entertainment you know it's it's not you know it's not movie stars it's not tom cruise like most people most creators are you know doing it part-time or even if they are doing it full-time like they're you know similar age oftentimes still in school like v very close to their audiences yeah. And, you know, and there's lots of conversation about like, you know, how parasocial relationships can kind of develop within that. And you see the impact that, that, you know, creators have on their audiences and that can be like really big decisions. And if someone is, and, and I do it too, you know, like I grew up, you know, watching people like Magnus and using him as like a, a point of comparison, you know, and if you, you know, if, if you have this person that you're comparing yourself with and you don't have full information or you have false information about that, then it could lead to some uninformed decisions. You know, if you didn't know that Sophia Coppola was Francis Ford Coppola's daughter and you just saw what she had done with her career, you said, I want to be like, you know, Sophia Coppola. I'm going to, you know, okay, she did this, this, and that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. You know, oh, she like went and like, you know, moved to, moved to San Francisco and did this for two years you know, volunteered for two years and, and it got her this, this and that. I'm going to do that. You can't do that. You're not Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. You know, so it's like, that's really important, I think, especially when we are, especially in the, the fashion community, when we're, we're talking about things that are monetary. Yeah. It's important to have those asterisks because I used to look at people like, you know, like Magnus, for example, or like Lucas Sabat and like, also get a little insecure about myself and be like, man, why don't I, why can't I dress like that? Or why can't I afford those clothes or whatever? And it's like, if you don't have the context around, you know, what someone, and, and I'm not saying those guys aren't like that. I'm just saying in general, if, right. you, yeah, if you're no, not given the context of, you know, of, of what led to where, to someone's current position, then it might lead you to, to either have some negative beliefs about yourself or about like the world in general, or yeah, to make decisions that like may not be well-informed given your position. I give the example of like, I was able to start Balfe Park with, you know, about $4,705,000 of money, which I'd earned over the previous summer, but I was able to keep all that money because my parents were paying my tuition 
and you know my rent for school so like i didn't have to save you know as much for the whole year like there was a portion of that which my friends who would have worked a similar job similar hours making the same money you know they may have had to take that five grand and say okay that's some you know semester one and two or okay that's rent for the year i was able to say okay i'm gonna go out and start this brand someone you know may just read an interview or see on my page if i didn't talk about that and go oh this guy started a brand with five thousand dollars in second year you know i'm gonna do that while also having osap loans or whatever it might be and it's yeah. like that changes the situation that might mean that it might make more sense for you to you know pay off your student debt and do that after you graduate so I think like that's why, and I think I think a lot of people hide it. Like a lot of creators may may hide it or minimize it because they think that their audience is gonna like give up on them or is gonna say like, oh, I can't relate to this person. I'm not gonna follow them. Which there are people who can't relate who who do that like who think that way about me, and that's fine. Like if you're if you want to only follow people that you can very closely relate to, then that's okay. Like I, I'm there's nothing wrong with that. But I think you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where like, you can either people are not there. You can't make everybody happy, but like you can either hide it and it's probably going to come out eventually. And then people are going to be really pissed at you. Yeah. Um, or you can be open about it. And there are still going to be some people that just, you know, are pissed at you yeah. and you can't change that. And that would have been the case regardless, but at least you are, you know, being truthful and honest and open to the people that really do respect and care about you. And you're going to end up with an audience you're going to end up building a, you know, an audience and a community that understands that, you know, and that's okay. I think that's one of your pillars. I think that's one of your pillars, being able to build such a loving community. Because mm -hmm. it's respect. I care about, about people, you know, like I want, at the end of the day, like I started this because I wanted to see this content and I wasn't seeing it. And that's always what I've been about. And like, I really do want people to get something out of my content. And I would hate to think that someone would make an uninformed decision based, you know, based on something I said or things I said without having full information. What I feel like is it's so interesting you say that, that people are not able to relate to where you came from, because I feel like when you do tell them, you're in a way becoming more accessible and in a way you're able to build a greater relationship with your audience because you are completely transparent with them. Yeah, and, and I agree. And I again, I think like it depends on the individual. And again, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. But like there may be someone who wants to only follow people who are like, you know, thrifting and, and have like a $50 a month budget for clothing. And like, you know, even, even though I can say, you know, like, okay, I acknowledge this, but like, you know, here are some ideas. You know, it's like I haven't lived that experience. So if someone really only wants to hear from people that have that have those lived experiences, then like that's understandable, you know, like that's okay. I, you know, I do my best to be as accommodating and accessible as possible. I always try and make make sure there's an affordable recommendation and and you know and all that. But you know, again, at the end of the day, like if someone does not want to do that, you know, like I guess like mental math of like how does his situation differ from mine, and then how can I, you know alter you know put that through the filter to to translate it you know that's okay like you you know people don't have to do that or if people just want to watch it for like to hear me talk about things then you know like that's that's cool too you know again like i i'm not super like i would i wouldn't say i'm like possessive over my audience in that like yeah people can can kind of come and go as they please and i just hope that like 
if they do decide to go, you know, it's for something that I haven't maybe miss, you know, misspoken about, you know, because sometimes, you know, like, and, and there's always going to be, be the case where like, sometimes you just don't articulate, articulate yourself properly and someone takes it for something else. So I just try and avoid that as much as possible. But Something you said was, if everybody likes you, then nobody likes you or nobody loves you. Can we talk about importance of staying true? Yeah. Just staying true to yourself? Yeah, I think, um, you know, this is something that I've really had to that I've struggled with in making content and I still do is, you know, like I'm, I've always been a people pleaser. I really, really don't like making people upset. I even, even, you know, like you and I were talking before about like giving honest feedback. I still struggle giving honest feedback. Like, like when someone asks me for feedback, I have a hard time saying what I actually feel, especially if it, if it's someone close to me, because Mm -hmm. I don't want to hurt their feelings. And that applies within content where like, I found myself a lot at the start, like trying to make everybody happy. You know, I make a video that's, you know, about things that I like. And then it's like, oh, this isn't this enough. This isn't that enough. And then I'm trying to, you know, like cover all the bases. And yeah, you can make everybody like you, but nobody's going to really, really, you know, love what you do. You know, like for an analogy, you know, it's like everybody, you know, everybody's fine with like the the Honda Civic, but nobody's like, oh my God, I'm, I love that. I mean, people, some people do, but like, you know, it's, yeah. it's that kind of thing where like the, I think the broader that you apply to a, to a population, yeah. it's, it's breadth versus depth. And there's a balance within that. But yeah, if you try to make everybody happy, then you're going to go too wide. And I honestly, I just don't think like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like you may, you may reach a really good point of marketability, which you've seen with some of the really big fashion creators that do like a lot of fast fashion stuff. It's like, I will never be as big as they are. Like follower wise, like I will likely never be as big as they are. I'm fine with that because, you know, it means I can, I can stay true to myself and and the things I would have to do to get to that point, I'm not comfortable with and I wouldn't want to do. But, you know, like, yeah, for the people that really really go for the breadth and just like you know let's see how many people i can i can get reach you know reach and and make this appeal to then i honestly think you just like you know it's it's like what is it for at that point you know beyond just money and like a means to an end it's like you know are you really impacting the world in the way that you want to something that kind of made me think different way was when i heard dan co say your niche can just be you Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it could be just your interests. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's kind of what I've I've applied it to. You know, it's like I see one I saw there like being overlap between like, you know, a lot of watch people are into fashion or interior design. A lot of interior design people are into fashion. Like there there is a lot of overlap in those communities. I think it is it could be tough to like really make something you know, like on very opposite ends of the spectrum work, like it, they do have to kind of make sense together. I think right, yeah. I'm a strong believer that like there are common threads between everybody's, you know, personal interests. Mm-hmm. And it's likely that that's going to be duplicated in other people in a population and that will become your audience. Really good way to put it. And the last one of the last things I want to talk about is you said cuffs and scars are stories, not stains. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where else can we kind of apply this mindset to? I mean, yeah, like you could get really philosophical with it and go like, you know, like, like apply that to, uh, to how you think about life and how you think about, you know, making mistakes and, you know, down points, you know, seeing those as, as opportunities for growth and, and that like, although 
you know, really crappy things might have happened. You know, it's like if you didn't have that, you wouldn't be the person you are today. So that's one way to think about it. Like something I've thought about, you know, in and even doing like personal, you know, like therapy work and coming to, you know, the conclusion that like, oh yeah, a lot of my interests were kind of, you know, not born, but like the flames were stoked by insecurity, like with fashion, you know, that, that, that external validation, like that, you know, stoked those flames and drove me in a bit of an an odd path. And then I was, you know, for like a couple of weeks ago, just kind of struggling with the idea of like, oh crap, like, does that mean when I really get to the bottom of this insecurity that like, you know, I have to give this up or do I have to do that to do this or, or whatever it might be. And then, you know, I kind of thought about it more and it's like, not necessarily like that is another example of like, just because it was born out of, you know, like a, 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 a scuff doesn't mean it's a stain kind of thing. And, and I think that also just applies to like in a more material sense, yeah, like okay. how I think we should, we should think about clothing and furniture and, and all that is, you know, like if, if something is good enough and beautiful enough, you know, it's like, not that I think like, just like, oh yeah, let's just destroy everything and just like, you know, swing a bat around, um, <laughs> you know, like, but it's more that I think you can tell when something has been made with care and longevity in mind when it ages. And, and I think like celebrating that and focusing on that as a point of, as, as like a signifier of, of quality within like material aesthetics is more important than just like a designer name or whatever it might be. What's next for Balf Park? Is oh, how do I pronounce? Fuck it? all. <laughs> it's it's on the back burner. Uh, it's Balf Park, but yeah, that Balf Park. Balf Park is on. The sorry back to everybody. Back burner. It's been back burnered. Um, how long ago? Ah, uh, like like probably a year ago. Like I love it. I still love it. I still love the brand idea, but I just have too many things going on right now to do that properly oh, okay, to do okay. what I would really want to do. Yeah, but I guess like to to modify the question, like like just in general, I guess what's next, if that's okay. A hundred percent. Um. Yeah, I mean, like I, you know, I I really want to focus on kind of getting further into the fashion industry and producing more, you know, just like in, in terms of in terms of content, making my content more in depth and and bringing people along with me as I kind of try and break my way in, I guess, because I think I do think and I've I've seen it like we're seeing more and more creators use this not only as as a career in and of itself but as a point of entry and letting their online presence and their personal brand be their resume and i think that is going to be a really valuable tool for for you know people our age over the next little bit so you know it would be really great to bring people along with me in case someone wants to you know give it a shot themselves but yeah hopefully even though balf park is on the back burner there might be some products coming soon and an announcement coming soon Sweet, so I'll leave sweet. it. I'll leave it at that. Um, for sure, for sure. But yeah. Before we end this, last question: the best advice you got that helped you as a creative, and something you want other creatives to know. Oh, that's a good question. Honestly, I think because I was also thinking, like, you know, in terms of like, okay, how are, how are a lot of these questions usually answered? And I f- I feel like wh- when a lot of people are like, you know, like, what's your best advice? There's there's like a breadth to it. Um, you know, it's it's usually like kind of like a broad serendipitous answer which could really apply to a lot of things but given that you said creative specifically i want it to apply it may not be the best advice i've ever heard like i I don't know if i'd say it's the best thing i've ever heard because like it's applied in so many areas but more it's been a very poignant piece of advice which i've been applying lately in in my creative pursuits 
And it's from my mentor, Aaron Levine. And it's just kind of something he's been constantly reminding me of. And it's like, not to outsmart your audience. And it, it just simply means like, not to go over people's heads for the sake of doing it. And I think that is something that people can kind of get caught in, especially new creatives that are, and especially new professional creatives when they, when they've kind of carved something out for themselves and they are able to make a living off of it. And I think people start to then, you know, think of like, okay, how can I make this different enough? Or how can I make this, you know, really niche, you know, like I want to, I want to be, you know, like really acclaimed, like, like I have to do all these different things to do it. And I think in that, like people can lose sight of what they're trying to communicate to their audience. And that's something I've done where I'm like, oh shit, like I'm going a little too deep in for the sake of doing it. Like not because I think it's something that my audience wants, but because I feel like there's a bit of a point to prove in that like, oh yeah, see, I know more about this. I talked about this designer or whatever, or, or I put one, you know, this element into one of my designs. And it's like, but I think it's important at the end of the day to like, yeah, to not, and, and like outsmart your audience isn't, I feel like isn't even the right phrasing because that implies that you are smarter than your audience, which I, I firmly, you know, disagree with, but it's, just the idea of like keeping that first or keeping that, you know, present of mind rather than kind of going after like the, the minutia of like nicheness and like how different you can make something. Cause oftentimes with your own designs and your own work, you perceive it as far less special than it actually is by virtue of you making it. So in that, I think a lot of people will put for lack of a better phrase, you know, too much lipstick on the pig, you know, or, or what they perceive as being a pig, you know, because they don't see how special it is. What I understand is just be more honest, mm. more vulnerable with your audience, show them the scuffs, show them the stains, mm -hmm. and they will respect that more and they will be willing to learn from you even more. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and just like at the end of the day, like just in that to like along that same vein of, of, you know, chasing perfection and seeing your own idea is like never perfect. And then kind of maybe adding unnecessary things to make it appeal to, to an audience that you maybe want to go after or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I think also people lose track and, you know, and, do, and don't realize that it's like the, the doing of the thing is the most important part. So if you're getting so caught, caught up in the minutia that you're not putting something out into the world, yeah. then it's time to just put something out into the world, you know, because you will get better and it's, you are not meant to put out a final product, you know, off the bat. That's what I would say. Amazing. Beautiful. Nolan Daniel White. Andy Thank you, Daniel. everybody. <laughs> if other creatives want to get in touch with you, what are some of the easiest ways? It's uh, Nolan Daniel White on, on pretty much everything. You can email me at ndw at nolandanielwhite.com. It's funny saying that. I've said that out loud, I don't think. But yeah, yeah. Instagram DMs usually the best way. The website is fucking phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Shout out yeah. to Massey Digital for, uh, for doing that. They they've done like quite a few websites. Yeah, they did Chirons. Montreal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they did Chirons as well. Who is someone else that you want me to have a conversation with? I think Chiron would be good. Can we make that happen? We can make that happen. That would be amazing. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. And yeah, sweet. All right. I think shit, we can fucking end it here. Good Bro. stuff. Great podcast.